0: Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence and Mike Nicoletti. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You
1: should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you.
0: I think I'm right on time. Oil pricing and oil equity are going to be a little softer. I think that oil demand forecasts are being adjusted for China's weak economic activity. And I think the news we've seen in the last week, since last Wednesday, not only are they having problems with using lockdowns to confront the latest variant. EA two or whatever, it's so contagious, but their real estate sector is not going to carry the economy. What what they've done in past slowdowns is they build more. They build more apartments and they build more office buildings. And what has happened is that the developers, the one in the news the most is Evergrande, has about twenty billion dollars of that exterior to China that they defaulted on, they're basically in bankruptcy. They've made a conscious decision, which they may, they may not have had any choice not to put money into building more apartments. I'm sure everyone on the call has read about these entities where you purchase an apartment in China and you sign a mortgage and you start to pay on the mortgage well ahead of when the apartment building has started and the developers can't, don't have the financing to finish the buildings. The individual Chinese families have stopped paying on the mortgages. The development's in trouble. They're not paying on the mortgages. The uh, Communist Party you know, it's a state directed economy is saying that they will foreclose on the developers' position, take the land and complete the buildings, you know, with some other state funded entity. But that's kind of a workout. So what would normally happen with a slowdown because China China for the first six months of the year showed no real GMP growth not even the official statistics. So they're be, going to be in kind of a workout mode with these financing structures where the the individual owners of these apartments have stopped paying the mortgages. So that's going to cause problems for the the banks that were financing the developers. Obviously causes problems. If you have money direct to a developer, it, it's going to keep them from... Trying to improve their economy by <clears throat> bolstering the real estate sector, I, I just don't see how they're going to do it. And I think they've made a decision that they're not going to do it. And she, of course, is looking for a second five-year term, which is very unusual. Normally, the leader of China, the president, head of the party, serves two terms, and he wants to go on and do a third term and probably serve until. You know he goes out feet first. The impact on oil, all commodities, copper, iron ore, metal, will be significant because the second largest economy in the uh, in the world, second only to the U.S., is going to have no growth and no no potential for them to issue sovereign debt and somehow bolster activity in building. Building, statistics I've seen, is a fairly significant part of the economy, like 20% or so. So less steels needed, less coppers needed, activity, and this is on top of the lockdowns. I think they clearly won't use as much gasoline and diesel and whatnot. Now, will it turn into a crisis where it pulls The rest of the world economy into a recession i don't think so but it can't be a it can't be a positive will there be political instability in china very unlikely you know one of mike and jason's favorites is psmc taiwan semiconductor will china buy you due to ukraine you know what Russia did, or be like Russia and Ukraine with Taiwan, not too likely. Obviously upset with Speaker of the House is spending a the night there, but not not too likely that they'll even the other challenges they have. You know, try to annex Taiwan with some kind of military operation. Impact on the companies we review. Impact on Tesla anyone selling cars in China is going to have a more difficult market in terms of making cars in China, also more difficult with lockdowns. Apple, just about everything we buy from Apple, not just iPhones, but everything else is made in these very large factories in China. They have this strategy, apparently, dealing with the lockdowns where they have dormitories and the workers who are Working, and I this may be true of Tesla too, just never leave. So they're allowed to continue to operate. But obviously, with the country, the on rolling lockdowns, a fair amount of you know, just slowdown in economic activity. It can't be a plus for Apple, it can't be a plus for Tesla. Does that mean you don't want to own Apple stock, you don't want to own Tesla stock? Just if you own them, you know, those companies are strong and they'll come through this. To switch to natural gas, natural gas is a bit of a European story. The price of LNG in Asia, where China, Korea, Japan all use a lot of LNG. By definition is the price in Europe adjusted for transportation differentials. And the differential from say Texas is about a a dollar more. Get the LNG to China as compared to get to Europe. If you look at life's quotes, they're trading kind of flat. Clearly the market for LNG, which is the growth part of the US gas uh, demand is, uh, is Europe. That's because Russia, either because they're physically unable because they can't get compressor service given the prohibition on activities with, with Russia or because they're using this kind of a way to try to break European unity, NATO unity, whatever you want to call it, apart to get a better position or more, you know, less support for the Ukraine militarily and economically. If you're in German manufacture or really anywhere in Europe, the unreliability of Russian gas is a huge problem. So the way you respond to that, either on a national basis or a factory or an industrial complex like Volkswagen or whatnot is you store as much gas as you can. And in order to store gas, well energy has been bid up into the forties. And I guess we'll probably stay there, US thermal coal has been bit up into the one fifties. I mean that's that's a historic high but well, why is that happening? Well, German utilities and European utilities in general are stockpiling coal because they can make power out of it and get through without. What they don't want to do is it gets colder in Europe. They don't want to have to divert electricity away from manufacturing to keep the grid supplied with power. So would this situation exist were it not for the Russian invasion of Ukraine? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, before Ukraine invasion, Gas was short, but that was because Russia was consciously just delivering against their contracts and not delivering in excessive contracts. Might they be doing that without I think they were frankly getting ready for the Ukraine invasion. Is there some set of circumstances where Russia and Ukraine declare some kind of a ceasefire and oh, gas shipments would resume to Europe? I mean, I guess it could happen. But, you know, it doesn't look terribly likely now. So that very strong price for LNG is going to persist. Where are we in the U.S.? In the U.S., we had an LNG plant go down Freeport. So LNG exports were 13 B's out of total 90 B's of demand. They went back to 11. Hopefully that plant, which is in Freeport, Texas, privately owned, will be back on by the end of the year. There are, in addition to the 13B, well, when food court comes back on, there's about another 15B a day in some out of construction. That will be the growth in U.S. gas demand. If you add up the rest of gas demand, which is residential, commercial, power, it's flat as a pancake. Even power isn't increasing that much because in the U.S. power business, more and more every year that goes by, wind and solar on. Um, and when the solar run, you know, as long as the sun's out or the wind's blowing, uh, there's very little incremental cost. So that, that gets bit into the, into uh, the, become part of power supplies. So gas, you know, base load gas, which would be the combined cycle of power is doing great now, but won't necessarily do that great. Debt prices come down, what does this mean? Well, if you own Antero or you own BQT or own another gas stock, by all means, hang on to it. Be, I think, a little cautious about making new commitments to gas producers because these equities have moved up a lot. Ditto, ditto on oil. And uh, it just doesn't seem like right time because kind of the artificiality and the weakness in China. Obviously recession weakness is prevalent in in Europe because they can't, I mean, their power prices are way up. They don't know how they're going to make it through the winter with, you know, curtailed Russian gas exports. So Europe isn't doing very well. As far as the U S goes, we've had two quarters of negative GMP. The quarter to March 31 had negative GMP, 1.5%. The quarter to to uh, June 30 had somewhat negative G, GMP, down point nine percent or something. The quarter we're in, which went to September 30, the economists, and the one to watch is the economists at the Atlanta Fed seem to have the best record for predicting in advance what real GMP is it's going to wind up. They're saying 1% or 1.5% growth. When you look at business conditions, you look at Walmart, you know, saying that the customers are getting sweet, they're having trouble, you know, repricing inventory and getting inventory, not a good sign. When you have Intel and now AMD yesterday coming out saying that PC demand is off, that's not a good sign. It appears to be the case in the US that people are, become more cautious and, you know, now housing demand is very strong, it's with higher mortgage rates, which come down. So, is it a severe recession? No, but generally two consecutive quarters of real GMP decline, which constitutes a recession. But the economists who, there's a panel of seven of them who decide like three or four months later, whether or not there's a recession. But probably, if there's positive GNP growth in the third quarter, it's probably not going to say that the first and second quarter of 22 has to do a recession because unemployment was still at 3.5%. I would have the jobs number this Friday. We'll see whether jobs increase. But that's the situation there. I've gone through more than these 15 minutes. I, I like to do under 15 minutes. I, I want to switch over to a companies we've been looking at. And I want to just make one point before Mike gives us an update on where he thinks. I mean, almost all the companies that we've been discussing have now reported the second quarter results. The only ones that haven't are NVIDIA and Salesforce, which are like one month delayed, so they won't be reporting until they report not June 30, but they report the end of July. But just one thing that Mike and I have and committed ourselves to. We think the place to be is in these larger cap companies, the Microsoft, the Apple, the Googles, and maybe the Facebooks and the Salesforces, and, the, uh, and that this drawdown in equity markets gives us a chance to acquire maybe Tesla, if Tesla comes down enough. One of the things we're going to do, and we're not, you're not going to hear about any of these names until we really run these things down, but the three of us have committed ourselves to coming up with one company a week. So in the next 50 weeks or 52 weeks, we have to come up with 50 companies with no repetition where we don't believe that they are investable. At the time, the three of us, basically Mike and myself, agree on a company. But we will work on those companies. Now, what are we trying to do? The law of large numbers that Microsoft, the video, even the video stuff, quite large, Google and Amazon, it's just not going to go up five times. I mean, they may go up five times over 15 years or something, but I mean, we are looking to try to double your money in five years. We would like, the ideas to own 10 stocks, right, whether it's in CropMark or Lawrence Family or Oak Cliff or whatnot. We would like to have a couple of other companies of the 10, maybe even three or of companies of 10, These things that do have the potential to go up five or six times. And yeah. the disciplined way we're gonna to try to do it is, between Mike and myself and Mike's partner Jason, we're gonna to try to have one a week. Now, we won't let out those on the phone. We, we, we'll put to work on them, and if we look at 10 or 15 of them, we will come up with one, and then we'll start talking about it. But we don't want people on the phone thinking, Oh, uh, Hunt, Mike, and Jason are looking at, I just to pick a name, which, uh, may be this week, but we don't want anyone to, other than loaning about it, uh, let's think about investing in it. Shopify, which is Amazon's competitor has come down. The I mean, it's went up about 15 times it's come back down. It's worth looking at. I mean, Amazon needs a competitor, but. That's the last one we're ever going to mention until we've done our work. And with that, over to Mike. Mike, I think if you could just fill up the rest of the time with just the trends and, and uh, that you see from a, a review of the uh, second quarter results for the companies we follow. So I'm going to stand down. I've already used too much time, but rest of the half hour is over to Mike.
1: We have been digesting some of the news that's come through along with the earnings the last couple of weeks so the first thing that i'll, I'll point to is e-commerce sales and th- this ties back to shopify and part of the reason it sold off so much and essentially what happened during covid is we shifted our consumption almost entirely to e-commerce so it was a radical departure from a long-term trend line of growth in inc- e-commerce to exponential growth in e-commerce. A lot of companies made a lot of bets that that trend, that accelerated trend line was going to continue permanently, meaning our behavior and habits have changed. And I'd question if that they haven't, because they have in some sense, I mean, I'm I'm sure most of us that utilize e-commerce, whether it's for grocery delivery or whatever, have changed habits as a result of COVID, but The growth rate is tracking back to that long-term trend line. And you see that in Shopify's results. You see that in Amazon's results, Shopify's spent a lot of money and hired up a lot of people in anticipation of the accelerated trend continuing. And since it hasn't manifested, they are now having to cut staff. So it's in a very unique, you know, difficult situation, but as Hunt said, you know this is the type of situation that we want to look at and dig in and see if maybe there's an opportunity at some point the second topic i want to cover is intel and amd both companies have released earnings and it's they're both companies we've discussed on the call in the past so as you know intel and amd both make cpus they both make cpus on the x86 architecture And recently AMD's processors have started to catch up and to look back in time to see where that came from is AMD is always, I shouldn't say always, but since it spun off global foundries, it's fab, it has been a fabless chip designer and the vast majority of its production comes from Taiwan semiconductor. So when Intel started to fall behind in their chip fabrication, AMD was able to catch up. And this has been a long time in the making, but now AMD's chips are significantly better than Intel's and it's starting to percolate into the results. So in spite of the fact that both companies were hit hard by a slowdown in PC sales, which were abnormally high due to COVID, think about a lot of employers were buying PCs for their employees to work from home and people were at home more. So they were using their computer more and maybe could justify an, an upgrade. So, in spite of that, looking at the difference in the performance of the two stocks post earnings, you see Intel in a more precarious position. And the reason is AMD's data center sales were up 83% year over year. What's most interesting about that is that analysts are figuring that AMD took about almost 7% of Intel's market share this quarter, which would be the largest amount of market share that Intel or that AMD has grabbed from Intel in history in any one, one period. So it's, you know, I, I, I beat up on Intel a lot on these calls and it's not that i don't want them to succeed it's more that i've it's sort of like watching a train wreck it's happening slowly and then all of a sudden and i think that we're coming into this really unfortunate situation with intel and then you go to intel's earning call and what did they do they they reduced their their budget for expanding their fabs which is kind of the opposite of what we thought their strategy was going to be and they increased the dividend um i i mean I've kind of been saying this over and over again, that if if I was Gelsinger and going into Intel, one of my preconditions for going in there would be that you would got to cut the dividend. You need that capital to catch up. And the strategy of just hoping that the government's going to fund your underperformance of the last 10 years is it's unfortunate. And it looks really bad, especially when it looks like we're going to pass this CHIPS Act. And Intel is going to be a huge beneficiary of it. And instead of increasing your CapEx budget, you're decreasing it and increasing the dividend. So I think I'll stop there on the Intel bashing, but, uh, <laughs> I
0: think, I think I made the point, right? Not, <laughs> well, well, I think, I think uh, to my credit, the, uh, I kept bringing up Intel because Pat Gelsinger is the, the new CEO such an appealing story. I mean, he grew up in the middle of Pennsylvania on a farm, never been on an airplane, somehow he got referred to Intel (laughs) they sent him an airplane ticket. He flies to California he'd had like two years, he'd been at a community college, he was hired as kind of a, a worker, I guess, one of their fabs. Somehow he progresses from there to three or four years into his career at Intel. He's helping design chips, and he comes up with the idea that he, well, I guess during that period he finished his college degree at night, and I guess was a very good student. So Stanford offered him a PhD position, probably with fellowship and whatnot. And Andy Groves, who was running Intel then, persuaded him that if he stayed, if he didn't go and get his PhD, that he would be a vice president of Intel by the time he was 30 years old, which is what happened. And uh, he progressed along, became absolutely crucial to Intel. But then at one point, when he was in his 40s, the top job went to someone else, either a marketing person or a finance person. And he went and went to work for Michael Dell, who was very familiar with him because, you know, Dell was a big producer. He sees Michael Dell put him in touch, in charge of VMware and where he was a huge success, then of course you go on. And now Dell's in his fifties and the chairman of Intel having entrusted Mike, I think they had two CEOs who failed, uh, not just one, got hold of Michael Dell and said, would you sanction Pat coming on the Intel board? And then after a couple of board meetings, the board members decided they, they went back to Michael Dell and they said, this is very important for U.S. tech industry, chip industry, we need to make them CEO, which again, Michael Dell sanctioned. Uh, but uh such an appealing story. I kept asking Mike, I said, can't we can't we look at Intel? Can't you know, look what Deli did for Microsoft. Look how Tim Cook performed after the death of Steve Jobs. Don't we have a similar story here? And despite the appeal of the story, Mike kept saying, No, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. They I think you have they don't know how much trouble they're in. And of course, the June thirty results show that if anything, Mike Nicoletti was understating the amount of trouble Intel's in. So it may at some point make an interesting investment, but now they are just losing too much ground. And so the the uh, it's it's good to stand your ground because I I tried every which way to, to get. My interest, I mean, I'm an oil and gas person. I'm not going to make an investment. if like it, 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 it chips was chip stock. Mike thinks it's just a bad idea, but he's been right as rain so far. The uh, just to close up the uh, part of the business that we haven't discussed today in terms of June 30 results, and we'll get into it next Wednesday, is the B2B software business, which. It's Salesforce, which is, like I said, NVIDIA and Salesforce are months out of kilter, so we'll see the Salesforce results, but also the Microsoft results, and then also cloud uh, companies, Amazon, Microsoft, and, and Google or Alphabet. One thing, and then just get Mike's comment because my my, uh, my knowledge of this stuff is much, much stronger and, and more useful than mine, but one of the things I've noticed is that the cloud companies are starting to phase down their cafe and the key for chip companies is to be able to provide the chips the capacity and whatnot that these entities need for their data centers and um, with that I, I think Mike has some insights we'll go a minute or two over but some insights to what the commentary by the people who have the cloud businesses means to uh, not TSMC, obviously, but also uh, also uh, AMD and Intel and Nvidia and so on and so forth. So over to you, Mike. There's some closing comments.
1: So, I guess when it comes to expanding data center capacity, we know that about 50 percent of next year's Amazon capex budget is dedicated to expanding AWS. So it's still still growing, but maybe not at the same rate at which we'd seen previously, you kind of, you did see a reduction coming from Microsoft and I think that's partly because their, their strategy is a little bit different because they can offer a hybrid cloud solution and they off often have a lot of their customers are fortune 500s that do have their own off oftentimes their own server setups and are now transitioning to hybrid cloud. They can actually be a little more capital efficient when it comes to growing the Azure services. Um, and then Google, I think was the other one that had seemed to be signaling that they were going to tighten up. They're probably the ones that were most specific about signaling, tightening up. So how does this affect the chip stocks going forward? I guess what AMD has shown is that if you're doing x86, AMD is more friendly to work with than Intel. Intel's coming from a legacy of doing xx, making an x86 chip and saying, you figure out how you want to, you want to do this. So there, it's not that they haven't been working with these data center companies, it's that it's not as ingrained into their culture and they're kind of behind on that. The other mega trend that's happening here is the transition to arm-based server architectures that's shifting stuff away from Intel and AMD in general into proprietary architectures. I think as far as logic goes, I'm still not seeing a slowdown, the results for both the chip companies and the semicap companies were really strong and everybody keeps waiting for the ball to drop, but it hasn't really dropped. There's a handful of companies that supply some of the Chinese fabs that have missed earnings or have
0: guided down. But aside from
1: that, it's been incredibly strong.
0: Good. Well, with that would everyone stay well, stay healthy and we'll pick up on the things that we didn't get to today, we'll pick up next Wednesday. Everyone be, be well and be healthy. Take care. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in to us again next week as we'll be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you.